I'll do the intro. All right. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of THP Strength. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about sprinting, specifically acceleration development, which is your ability to go from a standstill to moving as fast as you can forward or side to side. Maybe we'll cover that a little bit. But before we do that, we figured we would introduce ourselves. My name is John. I'm responsible for coaching Isaiah from no knee pain and roughly a 42-inch vertical to a legit 48-inch plus vertical. And that includes a 12-1 touch, which is the highest touch I've ever seen in person, <laughs> maybe other than Jay Clark, and the highest vertical I've ever seen legitimately tested. That all said, I have a bunch of degrees and know a lot of shit about jumping. I guess you could say I am an expert or maybe the most knowledgeable coach on the planet. <laughs> and Isaiah, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Yep. And I am Isaiah and I am a professional dunker. I also coach athletes. I've been coaching athletes for about two years now, I want to say. Um, been working with John for about three years. I have a degree in exercise science. I've been obsessed with jump training since I was 14 years old. Um, been studying it obsessively ever since. And John has also been a big mentor to me, teaching me everything he knows for the last three years. And together with our combined skills, we have made a um, best jump training on the planet. We'll firmly say that. First yeah. <laughs> anyway, guys, we will do a quick shout out to our advertisers. So we want to let you guys know that other than us and THPStrength.com, this podcast is sponsored by Legion Supplements. One of the biggest questions we get asked is how can I improve recovery? One of the only ways to do this is to give your body more of what it already needs. Increasing bioavailability of these micronutrients can help you help you. In other words, it lets your body do what it's already trying to do during recovery, but better. Use code THP at checkout. If you decide to purchase the supplements, this will give you points, roughly 20%. So if you purchase those supplements five times, the sixth one would essentially be free. Totally safe, totally effective. I religiously take my fish oil and my multivitamin, and I always say this, but I approach them. We love their stuff, and we believe that if there's one thing you can do to improve your recovery, it's just giving your body the micronutrients it needs to function optimally. That said, we will get into the podcast here. So we're the topic here. So Isaiah, what was your experience with sprinting? versus mine maybe we can cover first so what was what was your experience with with sprinting in general adding it into training how you adapted to it how much faster you got all those things yeah um so growing up i the only type of running sprinting i would do was through sports um i remember when i was 14 i ran my first 100 meter dash ever it was 13.92 fast as fuck boy um <laughs> So, so that was my, or what did you ask? How old were you? I was 14. 14? Not, you want to know what I ran at 14? What? 12 one. <laughs> I could, I, I could also only touch the backboard at 14. So. Oh, I almost knocked. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, that was my first time ever sprinting. Um, and then. Three, five, six at the time? I was five, four. Five, four. Oh my yeah. God. All right, never mind. That makes sense. I was like five eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was I was a little short growing up, um, but ever since then, uh, I just would look up like how to get faster. I learned about like sprint development drills, like a skip, b skip, high knees, butt kicks, all that stuff. Because um, like I I learned that they can help you with your sprint technique, so I, that's when I started doing those. 
Um, other than that, I didn't really sprint a lot aside from like when sports would make us. Uh, when I did track for a month in my senior year, did a shit ton of sprints there. Um, and then after that, when I just focused solely on dunking, I never, I literally did not jog or sprint for years. Uh, because I always like, I remember people saying that jogging would hurt your vertical and stuff like that. So I just didn't, I just didn't run at all. Then when I started working with John, um, that first year it was just load management. We didn't do any, any running. And then exactly two years ago, actually almost to this day, um, cause I was, I was, I was, I was looking at, um, uh, like, st like our memories, like store from Instagram, um, from two years ago. And that's like, I, I think it was on the 17th was the first day I started working with you again. Um, and oh, wow. yeah. And then that's the first time I ever used sprinting as part of my training. And it was such a novel stimulus for me. And it's also such a, it's on like the very end of the force velocity curve too. Um, that like, honestly, it probably might've been the strongest stimulus as far as like, I remember that like first like week, like I just yeah, jumped that's crazy. <laughs> like literally the first week I started working with John, I, I jumped higher, like significantly higher. Um, and I think that was a big, a big part of it. Um, and then over the course of the next three months, did a lot of sprinting. Um, John came in and visited me after three months of sprinting. And then I ran, I think it was, it was a 12, one hundred meter, yeah. hundred meter dash. Yeah. <laughs> um, mind you, it was we hadn't done any long sprints, so all the sprinting we had no. done was acceleration development. Like it was just working on. I would I would say you probably like over thirty meters. You were probably running like a four. I want to say you're probably like a four three over a thirty meter sprint, which is like a four seven or four eight over forty yards. So I think we tested like we tested my forty yard dash that that day. Oh, also. Really? Yeah, I think it was a four yeah. nine. Like or, it was a four nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that, that, by the way, would not be the same way that they do in the NFL. In the NFL, that would probably equate to like a four seven. Yeah. We used, we used frame we counting. It, we did it by first frame counting in your first hand movement, which is going to slow it down quite a bit. Whereas in the NFL combine, they would do it by your first movement. So they're reacting to you. So you have to add your, the person that's starting the timer, their, their reaction time into the total time, meaning yeah. it's laser finish, but the start is on them watching you move. So there's a ton of air there. I don't know why they still do it that way. Just because the times would be so much slower if they didn't. Yeah. But that's why it was like speaking a speaking of forty yard speaking of forty yard dash records. Um, Dexton beat the forty yard dash world record yesterday. Wow. He ran. Congratulations, <laughs> he ran a four eleven. <laughs> 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 the video's there. <laughs> I gave him I gave him some different suggestions for stuff he should try to try to do and that that was one of them I told him I said you should break the 40 yard dash yeah. it's pretty easy you just say you run what you ran but maybe you didn't actually do it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> another another story we can get into this later but there's also the Usain Bolt 40 yard dash as well. Oh yeah yeah. Um, can, yeah it's ridiculous. But so yeah testing my 40 yard dash and my 100 meter sprint that was after three months of sprint training. And then I was also coming off a of quad pull. Um, oh, yeah. And then over the course of the next year, I sprinted pretty consistently. Um, I would say you didn't really get fast until you started running with me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that's where I noticed it. So then, so then a year after that, I Which is almost a full year ago now, almost yeah, two yeah. months away from a full year ago, 10 months yeah. ago. So a year after that, so this was April 2020, I lived with John for about a month and a half. 
and on there sprinted super consistently and we were doing sprints against each other every day which is a huge factor in how much intent uh you can put into a sprint is like actually racing somebody race someone <laughs> yeah yeah um and that's what me and john did literally three times a week we would race each other on some really hard sprints um and that's when i really started getting a lot faster um like john has always been like significantly significantly faster than me and then that was the first time i ever beat john in a, yeah. in a sprint was, was there that, was like that time? there was like a couple times early on where accelerations would be close but then i would like gap him and i'll never forget we were like on this uphill at a park because it was covid so it was really hard to like find tracks and stuff we're doing we're doing basically resisted sprints but they're on a hill and i mean i'm i've been sprinting a lot like <laughs> at the time i've been sprinting for years and i've got my 30 meter down to like a four i think the fastest i ever got was like 411 that was frame counted uh so isaiah is running with me and whatever we say go we start sprinting and dude just takes off and i can't catch him for the life of me i cannot catch him and he just outran me and i was like yeah. well what, what the we hell did, just happened it was uh we were we went on your start on that sprint. oh yeah we went on my start too yeah so i had the benefit of my start and him reacting to me and he just he beat me and then like after that it was kind of like he was as fast as I was, or like it would go back and forth, um, depending yeah. on the day, like I would beat him or he would beat me, but it was, it was close. And then his upright sprinting started to catch me a little bit. Cause it was like, that was like an uphill. So it would favor Isaiah a little bit, but on flat ground, I would have a benefit until like on grass, it was basically like, it was super tight after that. Yeah. And then on the track, we never really got to run, but it would have been interesting to see like how far you had come, <laughs> like yeah. relatively speaking, um, you started to get upright sprinting a lot towards the end of the time that you, um, yeah. you I remember my upright sprinting out. started feeling a lot better. Yeah. Like one, yeah. One of the cues I gave you was tap. I was like, you got to tap. You're trying to push too long cause you're used to that sensation, but yeah. it's a tap off the ground. Like you don't feel like quick, it doesn't feel like long pushes. And then you start to get a lot faster upright. Yeah. I remember that being a big difference Did I cut out there for a second. Uh, no, 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 you were, you were okay, good. good. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that but, was your, I, I don't know if there's anything else you missed there. Yeah. Aside from that, I've just been sprinting. I haven't, I haven't sprinted in a while. Um, right now, I think it's probably been, been around a month since I, since I did sprinting, but, um, it's been pretty freaking consistent, um, this whole time. And I feel like it's been a huge factor in, um, allowing me to jump higher. Another one last thing I want to touch on is, sprinting allowed me to keep jumping high even when i couldn't lift heavy um i remember right before australia i was dealing with really bad quad tendinopathy and i couldn't i couldn't do a lot of squatting like actual squatting so so what we did was literally bottoms up squats and sprints like a shit ton of sprints um and i was jumping like it was that period of time was one of the highest jumping periods of time of my life so yeah and and sprinting was a huge key in that yeah it definitely looking at your programming at the time was something that i knew would be again a really potent stimulus that would keep your rate of force development really high it would keep you very neurally wired and it would have you keep and maintain stiff joints so really glad really glad we did that really glad it worked <laughs> yeah um my experience with sprinting is a little bit more extensive to be honest i was initially or kind of always been a track guy. I love track and a big part of track is running. Obviously there's more than just the jumping events and even to do the jumping events, you have to run up to them. So I told you guys, I ran a 12 one when I was like 14, I was like a freak beast, eighth, eighth grader. And I mean, there's kids way faster than that, but that was pretty good at the time. I was high jumping five ten. 
I just developmentally was so much further ahead and then my development slowed down a lot. <laughs> so, uh, I started doing plyos and stuff like that. And then sprinted, picked up sprinting again when I was like 16 underneath Mike Young, who was my mentor for from the time I was 16 until I was 25. And, uh, there was a lot of sprinting in that programming. So I got way faster. I want to say in high school, my hundred time dropped from like, I think my June or sophomore year was like 11, nine. Like I really didn't get that much faster. And then from my junior or my sophomore year to my junior year, I think I got down to those low 11s. I was like kind of touching that high 10 mark um, in high school. And a lot of it was just sprinting a lot and just hitting the ground hard. <laughs> like I was also fuming with testosterone and sprinting a lot. So that made it a lot easier. I think I would have ran a lot faster had I had a coach there too, obviously, but I didn't have luxury for that. So yeah, I was pretty quick. And then I got into the season, my high school coaches took over and I got a lot slower I ended up pulling my hamstring during a big track meet. And yeah, I didn't senior didn't compete because I herniated discs, just pushing too hard training wise, learned what not to do. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, then I got into, um, coaching, more coaching obviously, and really wanted to be an elite track coach. So I spent a lot of time learning as much as I could from Mike, who was at LSU with Again, guys that are running like the low tens and the nines, coaching underneath Boosh Nader, who's one of the best track coaches of all time. His mentor was Dan Paff, who coached Donovan Bailey to world record. So, like, obviously, and Mike was super well educated. He actually specialized in mechanics of sprinting, studied everything there is on sprinting, and lectured worldwide on it. Has a couple lectures on YouTube with hundreds of thousands of views, and uh, yeah, I mean, I just kind of dove into that and learned as much as I could about the science of it. And then eventually I coached at Duke and well, that was last year. Eventually I did that, but I just to kind of give some of my experience. And then prior to that, I actually coached at Altis, which is a track and field group in Phoenix. And they had tons of elite sprinters. Andre de Grasse was there who got second. You just look him up. <laughs> if you don't know who Andre de Grasse is, look him up. He's one of the fastest guys on the planet right now. So I got to see him run. I got to see Ella Nelson run who just retired. Congratulations on that Ella. She was a 2016 Olympian, one of the fastest girls in Australia ever. <laughs> and, uh, there was Wilfred Kofi. He was like a 10, 10, two guy or 10, one guy, Jeremy Dodson, another 10, one, 10, two guy, BJ Lee, same thing. Low tens, Curtis Mitchell ran the 200 and like 19 five was one of the fastest guys in, or one, the, one, the U S um, like fast guy in the U S I think in 20, I don't even remember what year it was. I want to say like 20, 2013 or something. I don't know exactly, but just a bunch of studs, super fast athletes. I got to see them run every day when I was at Altus. I was with the sprints group. I also saw Aries Merritt there, fast guy in the, in the hurdles ever. <laughs> and just that experience really opened my eyes to what elite sprinting looks like. Uh, Amir Webb was another guy. He was there. Javid Best. Amir Webb ran in the nine, nine, 90 something in the 100 and was in the Olympics for the, for the U.S. team in the 200. Just super fast athletes. And, uh, so all that said, I, I got crazy experiences watching these guys run, you know, and I learned a lot. I mean, I had with Mike, but really seeing it at that level to that degree for that long. I mean, every day I'm out at the track, just watching these guys run and train, you really get an inside look into what it takes, you know, and this is right before the Olympics, the 2016 Olympics and the Olympic games. So these guys, I mean, they've peaked for this the last four years. I'm seeing them at their absolute pinnacle. <laughs> like, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was just a really, really good experience for me and something that 
honestly kind of, I guess, gave me credentialing. So people were like, oh, this guy's not just like Joe Blow. Like he actually has seen and observed and interned under some legit athletes and stuff. And that was really important in my coaching development. So that was kind of my experience with it in terms of how I learned. And then, like I said, obviously I was at Duke for a year. So you're talking about division one track, you're seeing freak athletes, especially on the women's side, there were a lot of freak athletes, but on the men's side too, there were a couple of studs and seeing a lot of multis and decathletes and long jumpers and stuff. I've just been around a lot of sprinting. So fastest athletes on the planet. These guys would dust football guys. Example or exhibit A, job at best, previous football guy getting dusted by track guys <laughs> until he learned how to run and then got a little better, but you know, still wasn't near as fast as like Andre fast, but he wasn't as fast as those guys. And he was one of the fastest guys in the NFL at the time. So just to put things in perspective and that all said, we'll get into it. What I learned, some of the things that I know about sprinting, some of the things I learned from Altus, from Mike, I think right now we're already at like 15 minutes just going over our experiences with it, but it's good that you guys know that. So you not know we're just not spouting off bullshit. <laughs> so on sprinting, there's basically, if you were to split it up in a, just a very simplistic way, how Dan would coach it or Mike, you have acceleration development, you have max velocity, and then you basically have the end of the race, which is like your speed endurance or how much time you can hold that max velocity. So when you sprint, you start from zero meters per second in the blocks. Someone says, go, you pick up as much speed as you can. You usually top out your speed, depending on how fast you are between 30. Well, if you're like a high school track kid, it's probably between like 30 meters. And then if you're using bolt, like this might be 65 or 70 meters down the track. So the better guys can accelerate faster to those higher velocities. And then usually you see like the curve kind of flatten out and they won't increase that velocity quite as fast. And then as they get to the end of the race, they start to slow down. So, uh, the first thing that we will cover is just acceleration. And that is really starting from zero meters per second and getting to whatever your top velocity is. This is where you'd see the biggest jump in your change in velocity. So you would start at zero and then within the first three steps, I don't know the specific numbers, but you're moving fast. Like percentage wise, I think it's like in the first three steps, you're already moving within like 80% of <laughs> what you're going to run in the race. So you see a massive change in velocity, a massive acceleration in those initial steps. And with that comes a bunch of considerations in terms of the biomechanics and the physiology and things like that. But sprinting is all about max, max mass specific force. So it is your ability to produce a lot of force and weigh a little bit in the right direction. And if you don't have one of those variables, if you're really heavy, then you're going to need a lot more force, which means that your acceleration and you probably can't produce <laughs> as much force as someone who's relatively light. And so your acceleration isn't going to be as great. So it's really important that you have a very low mass and to do this, the training does it. Some of it is genetic, obviously diet, all those things that's going to improve your, your sprint speed quite a bit. In terms of the directional portion of it or the accelerating in the, in the right way versus sideways or forward <laughs> versus up and down, jumping is a vertical acceleration. Sprinting is only applying as much vertical force as you need and really maximizing the, the horizontal forces in acceleration. At least you're not going to produce or apply a ton of vertical force because you'll be off the ground. You would be bounding, right? And that's not what you want to do. You only want to apply as much vertical force as you need to balance basically, or keep, keep your center of mass, uh, over the base support or keep your center of mass from falling down to the ground. And then all the other application of the force is directed horizontally so that you can move down the track as fast as you can. So the technique 
plays a huge role in that because if you have crap sprint technique, you're not going to push in the direction that is most important for you to win a race or run down the sidelines and score a touchdown or break away and score a goal. So that starting point or that starting position in a hundred meter dash or on the field or whatever else is very largely going to dictate your success in every subsequent. So the directional portion of it massively dictated by your technique. And I don't know how much <laughs> we want to get into the, the nitty gritty of that, I guess, Isaiah, maybe from your lens, kind of having not had formal education on sprinting, you know, I have a bunch of notes here before I get into this. Do you want to ask questions to me about this before I just go on a lecture or a rant or how, how do you want to go about this? <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, specifically about, about technique. Yeah, I guess like, yeah, how about this? I'll give a brush stroke of the technique and then I want you to interject and ask questions as I go, because I don't want to get too far into this. And then you'd be like, wait, wait, hold on. I didn't understand this. this, or this. Yeah. But as for the technique guys, when you are doing a, this is really the mechanics of it. When you're doing an acceleration, the goal of what you're really trying to do is get very low shin angles and keep your center of mass far forward over your base support. Because what happens is your center of mass being out in front of you can assist in creating those horizontal pushes because the center of mass is out in front of you. You're actually rotating forward a little bit and you're getting the benefit of essentially gravity pushing your center of mass out in front of you, um, and downwards. And that helps you get a more horizontal force application. If you don't apply horizontal force applicate or horizontal force fast enough or vertical force fast enough, you actually fall on your face. So it's of great importance to be able to not only apply horizontal force super fast, but vertical force super fast, because if you can't apply vertical force super fast or fast enough, you'll just fall on your face. <laughs> so there's a balance there between those two things. And like I said, the angles of the shin are mostly going to dictate the direction of that first push or the subsequent steps down the track. There's obviously, or it, not obviously, but the direction of the push changes throughout the duration that your foot's on the ground. So if you were to just break it down instant by instant or frame by frame and look at the direct or the position of the shin, you would see that the direction is going to basically directly relate to the angle of the shin. So at touchdown, if your shin's vertical, that means most of the forces are vertically being vertically produced. If you're, as you're moving across that contact or as your hips move over the foot, you're going to notice the shin is going to move to a more negative angle or acute angle to the ground. And as you do that, you're going to see the horizontal force application increase more and more and more. So early on when you're in the blocks and you get those first couple contacts, you want to touch down such that your shin is already at a negative angle to the ground. And then another thing you want to try to do is you want to keep your shin angle and your torso angle parallel to each other. So if you at touchdown specifically, so when your foot touches the ground, you want to make sure that your torso angle is exactly the same as your shin angle. What a, a big problem that people have is their shins are vertical at touchdown. And that, that means that they're not producing a lot of horizontal force. So they have to wait until their hips move over the foot, the axis of the foot and their shin is negative again. So that, or I guess depends on how you define it. I look at a more acute angle to the ground, I guess is a better way of saying it so that they can start pushing horizontally and creating big accelerations in the right direction. If you're is pushing only, straight up and is down, this only for the start or this, so this would be for acceleration. I'm just covering acceleration in general. Okay. And I'll say this as well. That angle at touchdown should get more and more vertical as you move down the track. 
So on that first initial push, the more negative, the more acute you can get that angle, the lower you can get that shin angle to the ground, the more horizontal you're going to be able to push out. The downside is, is that it's harder to produce vertical force. So you're going to fall on your face if you don't produce the horizontal force fast enough, or you don't produce the vertical force fast enough. Your center of mass is going to rotate forward or is going to rotate your body forward over your foot as if you hit a base side or something else. It's the same thing in sprinting. Like if your center of mass is too far forward over your base support, you're going to fall on your face. You're going to start to, that's, that's rotating forward. That's what rotating forward is. Your body is literally flipping like, forward. That reminds me of when babies, like when they start running and like their heads <laughs> out in front of them and then you yeah, they start like, falling down on their face. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly the same thing. Like if you've ever seen a little kid run and they drop their head and they start running forward and falling forward and then they face plant on their face, <laughs> that's what's happening. They're pushing their center of mass out in front of them and they can't balance. They can't balance fast enough. And then they start to fall on their face. So this balancing portion of it, I guess, is actually really important. You have to be able to keep your center of mass over your base of support. You can shift it more forward. And then as you push, if you can generate force fast enough, you can kind of use it to your advantage, that rotation to your advantage, or at least maintaining that angle. But if it gets, if it's too far outside of your base of support for too long, your subsequent contact is going to be really far out in front of you to balance. And then you're going to start over rotating more <laughs> and then you'll fall on your face even more. So that's a really important part of it. But going back to the sprinting and kind of the mechanics of it, you want to see at touchdown, your shin angle and your torso angle should be exactly the same. From that point on, you should just see the body moving down the track and as your foot is moving back behind the body or as your foot is in contact with the ground throughout that, that initial step. So maybe this is step zero, if you're talking about block clearance or I guess step one, that first contact, you also want to see the hip move into full extension or almost sometimes guys will say hyperextension, but it's, it's kind of funny. People will think like, oh, well this, this just happens or you shouldn't teach extension. But like, I've noticed that usually you have to teach extension and what you'll see a lot of guys do is chop. So like, if you're not very good at producing horizontal force fast, what will happen is you'll just shorten your strides. <laughs> you won't actually move into full hip extension, but there, there's a downside of that because you're not, you're not generating, first off, it's really inefficient. And that is maybe one of the biggest arguments for it, is it's harder to keep accelerating down the track or further into the race. If that's how your first couple steps are. So if you get really big pushes, like imagine being on a bike in a high gear and you big push, big push, big push, your, your bike's going to pick up speed really fast. Right. And then as you get moving faster, you sort of like feel this less, more fluid, passive rotation of the pedals. And you're moving really, really fast in that gear. That's essentially what sprinting is, right? You can't change. Unlike a bike, you can't pick a lower gear and gear up over time. You can't change that. Your mass is set the whole time. So you want to maximize, like if you're a lighter guy, and you're shorter, your stride frequency and your rate of force development is really high, you're going to get to the bottom dead center of that pedal or pushing down on the bike pedal sooner than someone who's much heavier and much weaker, right? And that's a really good analogy for sprinting. Like you should never try to mimic someone's stride frequency because you probably can't succeed at their stride frequency unless you have the same exact rate of force development and mass, right? So like Isaiah and I, the reason we <laughs> sprint so well together and probably why he got so much faster is because our early rate of force development was probably, I was probably better at it early on. And then Isaiah started to catch up to me by sprinting more. And then he actually got faster just by kind of mimicking my sprint technique because we have very similar builds. We have very similar rate of force developments. And he was able to just watch me sprint and then kind of pick it up as we went versus earlier on, Isaiah may have actually over rotated and pushed too long, or he might've tapped and tried to chop his feet and it just kind of screwed up the rest of the run. 
So if you're looking at technique, I would look at the positions at certain timestamps. So like a touchdown is a really important timestamp for the foot. You need to look at where your torso angle is and your posture, like where are your shoulders, what is your pelvis, pelvic position in, what is the toe position in, all those things. And you need to look at the shin angle and how those things relate to each other. Again, at touchdown, you should see your torso angle and your shin angle almost exactly the same angle. I have noticed in elite guys that they'll actually start to have vertical shins sooner and that they'll keep their torso at a leaned angle. And I think that this happens for a couple of reasons. One of them is that it keeps the posterior chain on stretch. It also makes them feel like they can push more horizontally longer. And part of that might be that it shifts the center of mass forward a little bit more and it just helps them create more horizontal force. But I'm not really fully sure on that one. I think a lot of people would say like, oh, I don't want to see that. I want to see the torso angle exactly the same as the shin angle. But I have noticed that keeping a very slight lean, almost like this butt out hinge position at touchdown can help a little bit. So the shins are slightly more vertical than the torso. I've noticed that in a lot, a lot of elite guys, Andre de Grasse, Amir, Amir Webb, um, Greg Rutherford wouldn't do it really that much. I will say that some of the guys that worked with Stu McMillan at Altus would do it more. And then the long jumpers and stuff wouldn't do it quite as much. So that's maybe another consideration. Anyways, uh, as you move down the track, those shin angles get, well, I guess you want to make sure that those first couple steps, you're getting a full hip extension. So at toe off, which is another really important part, you want to see the, like a straight line, like a power line from the, your foot at toe off through your head, you should see a straight line. And that means that you've extended at the hip knee, not necessarily the ankle, but you've definitely extended through the hip and the knee and a you've good, gotten a full extension. A good video to watch is if you look up slow motion sprint, Asafa Powell, you know, that slow yes. motion video, it's like a side angle. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's a really good YouTube video to see like what John's talking about at, right at toe off. It's he's literally a straight line, like hip extension. Like, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. That's also honestly, yeah. there, there could also be a transfer of technique to understanding that that's how a penultimate step feels <laughs> like the start that's actually a really good yeah that's a really good illustration or the analogy. start at a sprint like when you push with that back leg hard and then you're like in a like it's a straight line from your foot up to your head like it's literally the same exact push as you would get on a on a two-foot jump getting a, a long penultimate so um, that's actually one of the reasons why i like acceleration so much especially like the initial push off of that acceleration yeah, because they kind of teach you, I mean, it, it teaches you how to push long, how to keep your foot, how to get your foot back behind your body. Cause most people don't understand hip extension in sprinting or in the penultimate step. Anytime you're moving horizontally, like I've seen this so many times, athletes don't know how to be patient, keep their foot on the ground and keep pushing. They just want to yeah. pick their foot back up. As soon as they touch down, they try to pick their foot back up. Yeah. And that's, that's a big problem that, because that that's like tapping on the pedals. Yeah. That's like tapping on the pedals on a bike. You're not really going to go anywhere. If you're in a high gear and you just tap on the pedals yeah. or just like half push, like really quick half pushes and yeah. don't wait until you get I to was, the bottom dead center. I was going to run. You're not going to move the bike fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was helping, um, one of our athletes. I'm not going to say what, what his name is. Cause I don't want to throw him under the bus. Um, yeah, don't but do that. He, was, he was practicing a, a two-step approach, um, on a vertex. And he kept, he kept sending me videos and I would like help him. And he wasn't, he wasn't pushing hard with his back leg at all, but he was trying. But what he was doing is he was kicking his leg out in front. That's how he was compensating. So like 
he was focusing on like getting that front leg like farther and he's like oh i'm trying as hard as i can but he just kept kicking harder with the front leg like so he, he just kept reaching like yeah, reaching yeah, with the yeah, he step? Reach hard so yeah. he couldn't he couldn't grasp that like that that casting back is a big problem yeah like people when they cast in sprinting they'll unfold the leg and just try to like grab the ground out in front of them almost like claw the ground out in front of them. yeah striking underneath their center of mass or like as close to it as they can letting the center mass shift forward striking underneath it in that position and then being able to push horizontal uh, the long axis of their body that's like how you actually run fast and like a penultimate step is not too dissimilar you see a very slight forward lean and then as you touch down you see the shin angles usually vertical and then quickly moves to negative or when i say negative i mean it's a more acute angle to the ground you see a big horizontal push and then they move to vertical <laughs> through that step as they plant the plant yeah. foot out in front i think the biggest difference is sprinting you want to be you're already leaning forward a lot and you're pushing out from there versus a two-foot jump you're, you're going to be in a more upright, you're, upright yeah you're definitely more vertical and it's because you have momentum already right like yeah, yeah. in sprinting you're at zero meters per second when you're yeah. doing a penultimate step you're at like maybe four or five yeah. i'd say i don't know exactly, I, honestly but. This might be, we might have just discovered a good tool for jump technique. Just try that, <laughs> those first two, three. I mean, steps. that's why they're in there. I just, yeah. I maybe haven't connected the dots for you or someone else, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why it's in there. <laughs> like, yeah. that's why sprinting is such an important part for two foot jumpers, along with force velocity curve and another thing. But it, it teches you how to extend through that first step, and yeah. that will teach you how to extend through the penultimate stride. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely important, but also, I feel like I've covered a lot of the, I've, Isaiah, did I cover everything on acceleration, like just the mechanics in general and stuff like that? Is um, there anything I didn't really cover? No, that's pretty Maybe good. Drive, I, I honestly drive like ankle we, position. Should keep, keep, we should do this as a two-part podcast and keep this one as technique and then the second one. Like as yeah. it applies to training. Um, yeah, I think maybe the other big, maybe one thing we can cover is like the common mistakes. So yeah. oh, the common mistakes we see. You mentioned the knee drive too. I think. Yeah, I was going to say that's a big mistake or something. That yeah, discuss. that's something a lot of people don't understand. Because I, I know something that before when I when I was looking up sprinting mechanics and stuff like that, or even like coaches like talking to me, they always, and this is in sports, like in foot, like when I used to play football and stuff like that, it was always keep like, keep your knees up high so like how much of that and then i remember i don't even remember how long ago this was this might have been like over a year maybe two years ago but i remember there was a big thing with um uh daniel back from jump science he would he always talks about uh, oh yeah he's like knee drives overrated basically or something yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah. so what's what's your take on on knee, what what is good technique in terms of knee drive well like it depends on if you're talking about acceleration versus upright sprinting like Dan made some valid points in that, in that post. And really what he's saying is you're being dogmatic. Everyone's being dogmatic. There are different ways to run fast mm -hmm. and there are different nuances, right? That can happen, but the sim, there are more similarities than there are dissimilarities, meaning that to run fast, there are certain things that you need to do exceptionally well. And there are certain things that there might be a little bit of wiggle room, but for the most part, you're still doing the same things exceptionally well as everyone else. And that being super high ground reaction forces, very short ground contact times, huge spikes in vertical ground reaction, reaction forces, massive horizontal rate of force development early and vertical rate of force development. I mean, across the entire sprint, all those things are maintained. And the cyclic nature, the cyclic nature of upright sprinting and maintaining that high knee position is such that you don't become backside. You keep your ground contact 
ground contact times short and you have very high vertical ground reaction forces. That's why you do that. That's why you want to keep the knee up so you can bring it down and hammer the ground and tap the ground and come off again. But I will say that the majority of sprinters probably are not thinking about that. <laughs> like it's, it's more about, I would say balance at that point. Like the issue is if you try to drive your knee too high, well, then your pelvis can get out of position and your stride frequency can drop too far. And then your ground reaction forces actually do not increase to a rate that is more beneficial to you than actually detrimental. Yeah. So you'll actually see a decrease in stride frequency an increase in stride length to a certain extent, but not so much that you actually see the athlete running faster. They'll actually run slower. So yeah. I think it's like a sweet spot. Like you need to have the knee out in front and there are a lot of physiological benefits that you get obviously, but like to what degree is that's where the wiggle room comes in. And then it's also experience dependent or uh, talent dependent. Like the faster you are, the higher that leg is going to come and whip back down harder. Yeah. I think I would say with sprinting, uh, one of the big, most important things that improved my technique. And I feel like this applies to almost everybody is just focusing more about like rhythm and sensations and yes. And those and focusing on that will just naturally improve your, your technique. Like on the start, that's true of anything though, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Like if like if sometimes I'll cue something and I'll be like, think about how it feels and try to replicate that. Yeah, because like when you feel like, it right, like replicate it. If you if you tell someone like, oh, keep your shin angle more negative and then get I would your, never say that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but just like just to give an example on the complete other yeah. side of it, like, oh, like keep your shin angle negative, make sure you're applying ver just enough vertical force and but mostly horizontal force, and then put your yeah. knee up at 90 degrees, like that will destroy somebody like mentally in terms of being able to apply a good technique. But if you tell someone like, Oh, focus on like bigger pushes or like push the ground behind you at the start. Like, like that when you told me tap, 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 like those, that's like what you got to find that works for yourself is those cues, those sensations that create yeah. a good technique. Like something I will cue for acceleration is just push big pushes, push. I'll literally say the rhythm. I want them to hit the ground at based on their technique or their talent level. So I'll be like, I want your rhythm to be push, 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 or if they're faster, I'll be like, push, push, push. And then as you get faster and faster, I want it to transition from push, push, push to tap, tap, tap. And then I'll use hand cues like tap, 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 tap. Yeah. Or I'll say like pushes like long, you know, I'll take my hands like I'm throwing punches and push, push, push like big pistons. And that time that kind of helps people connect the dots like i haven't really gone into how i would actually coach it because i'm just covering like what it is yeah. and, and maybe so we can do that in a third podcast but like what's that and it's so dependent on the person too i feel like with, with oh yeah printing. like it's it's really tough unless you're like there like and like telling them like exactly it's really tough to what was uh, it like having me put you in person on them <laughs> like yeah as opposed to like it was i mean it made it made all the difference. Like, I mean, that literally that month was the fastest I ever got at, at, at such a fast rate as well. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so much of it is like, cause you're, you're literally there physically there as things are happening real time. So it's like, like, Oh, like think, think about this or do this. Like, and it's just like, I feel like, I feel like so many people assume that I can't coach in person and it's one of my pet peeves. So I always have to like, always ask you like, I, Isaiah, can you, can you credential me and, and please explain to the listeners that I'm a very good coach in person, almost better than way better than I am online. In person is, I, I feel like it's not even comparable. Like, like my experiences with you in person have always been like, like as far as like coaches, you're the best coach I've ever like, um, 
like had experience with basically like, wow that warms my heart yeah <laughs> like how can you not no, i mean, I mean it, it's it's so stupid of me to like to me i can't fathom how people wouldn't think you know because like i've only but seen you've experienced it, it yeah 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 because like, like you you see it more in person than anything else yeah because think about it we talked on the phone talk we talked for a few months and then dunk camp happened and then dunk camp like that's when that's really when i was like boom like everything was solidified like like oh yeah. he, he's smart as fuck and like i feel like everybody who allows themselves to be coached by you in person would probably experience the same thing like it's kind of weird because like i i don't always realize like how introspective and like the ability for me to see things specifically with sprinting until I hear like how you're watching it or something. I'm like, wait, you don't know this. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Cause I know how good you are. And I just assume like you've been with me for two or three years. Like obviously you should know this stuff, you know what I mean? Or whatever. And then I realized that there's definitely a level of like a coaching eye to it. You know, one of the things I think that was hard for me early on to conceptualize was breaking it down frame by frame and seeing positions and then watching it in full speed. And then just looking at how does this look and asking yourself generally, like, does this look smooth? Does this look fast? Are they covering space each step? Yeah. It, what is the rhythm like? What is their hip extension like at toe off and what rhythm? And you start to see relationships. Like one big relationship I saw with acceleration is your rhythm and explaining it on a scale of one to 10 to an athlete makes them change their stride frequency because they're indirectly related. So if you tell, or stride length, sorry, because they're indirectly related. So if you tell someone, I want your rhythm to be a one, if bounding is a one, if alternate leg bounding is a one, I just made a video on this. So if you don't know what it is, go watch it on YouTube. And a ladder drill is a 10 in terms of stride frequency. I want you to be a six or I want you to be a seven. Because most of the athletes I work with understand what bounding is. They've done yeah. it at some point or they've tried to do it. And athletes have also done a ladder drill at some point. So when you give them that analogy, they're like, oh, well, I know where a six is or I can guess where a six is. And I've sprinted before. So then when you start to play with that frequency, <laughs> one to 10 scale, you tend to help people dial in. And if they're too fast, you can be like, Hey, look, you're shorting that first push because you're pushing at an eight or a nine when I need you to be a six or a seven. So I want you to tone back your rhythm, hear it in your head, feel the sensations, dial back that rhythm a little bit and just be patient, you know? And then people inherently, because when you slow down your rhythm, you're waiting for your, your hips to travel over the foot more and you're pushing as hard as you can. I tell them like, still push as hard as you can. But like, you know, you need to dial, dial the rhythm back and then they start to understand it. They start to conceptualize. That's a super easy way to teach acceleration mechanics. Yeah. If you, if they know the basics of the positions and stuff like that, it really, really does help. So yeah, I think, uh, all that said, um, what I'm saying here and what you might coach are different things, right? And you can use what I said here to view yourself in a video and break it down and start to understand it a little bit better. But what I would actually cue someone and how I would teach them is maybe a little bit different. So I don't know if we've missed anything in terms of, I feel like I covered most of it. Maybe the only other thing I would add is it's sports specific. Acceleration is sports specific. So I just explained traditional acceleration mechanics in track and in field, field sports like football or soccer. If you're on a basketball court, it's actually going to be different. <laughs> there are a lot of differences. You're going to reach out in front of you. You have much fewer strides. You're probably directionally changing position. You're directionally changing the angle of those pushes. So it might not just be straight out in front of you. You have a ball in your hand. You're using your shoulders to, to defend the ball or your body to, to help you defend the ball. So those mechanics kind of go out the window and then it becomes tax, task specific. And that task has also a certain frequency and also a certain rhythm and also like all those things inherently with it. So 
just keep that in mind as well if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm going to go apply this with the basketball in my hand. It's not going to be the same. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I covered a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it. And I yep. feel like we can end in a good spot. Yep. You agree? Any questions? Any questions, Isaiah, from the uh, gallery? I think one last thing that we can go ah, over. Go ahead and hit me with it. Um, <laughs> got to make this quick because I got I to gotta leave. It really yeah, I got I to gotta go too. Um, go ahead. But real quick, arms. What do you do with your arms? Big split. <laughs> it's the writing reflex. So your arms should mimic or mirror the legs. If your left leg and straight out in front of you, then your right arm should come straight out in front of you. If your uh, right leg is back behind you, then your left arm should be out in front of you. Um, wait, let me think about that. Sorry, I said that in reverse. <laughs> if your left leg is out in front of you, then your right arm should be out in front of you. And that would mean that you know the opposition is true for the other leg as well. So if your right leg is back behind you, then your left arm is back behind you. And it's the writing reflex. You're basically trying to balance. And there's also kind of a powerful synchronization that happens with being able to time up your peak arm drive with your peak leg drive and then the push off the ground. You're synchronizing all of those movements to increase the ground reaction forces on the ground. So it's really important to synchronize those. When you, if you see people that don't do that naturally or like run same arm, same leg like a weirdo, or they start with the wrong foot forward or whatever else, you'll see that they run a lot slower. So fixing that early on actually can be something that improves someone's sprinting like drastically. I actually sometimes coach the hands and I usually say like an acceleration, I want to see my hand. If I'm doing a two point start, you know, I want to see the hand up by my, my face or like by my chest. And I want to see if that's my right hand up by my chest, my left leg is on the ground in front of me. And I want to rip that back arm out in front of me as big as I can, as fast as I can. And then I want a big push on the ground. So big splits is a cue that I'll give. Something that helps a ton with being able to coordinate your arms and your legs is the sprint development drills. Like yeah. double A skip. We haven't even gone into drills. Drills don't make you faster, but they teach you context. So when yeah. you do sprint, you understand what you need to do. So like, maybe in a way they make you faster. Like people, I know it's really rare to have somebody run with the same leg up, same arm up and all that stuff. But have someone do an AC skip or a double A skip and the coordination goes out the window. Like that's I'm great I'm, at it. I don't know what you're talking about, Isaiah. I'm pretty fucking great at it too. You, you weren't first. <laughs> Those ACs I remember were pretty bad in North Carolina. Oh, he's doing it. No one can see this, but he he's doing it now. He's doing it now. All right, I'll give you I'll give you credit for that. Okay, <laughs> to your credit, you've learned. <laughs> it only took you three years. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. As always, make sure that you like, comment, subscribe to the podcast. We'll be putting this up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify right after the episode. Also, if you tag us in your story or if you're listening to it, tag us in your story, post it on your story, and we will repost it. And it helps us grow the podcast and lets us know that you guys are listening, motivates us to keep putting them out. So we'd appreciate it if you do all those things, and we will catch you on tomorrow's episode. Peace out. See you.